This is a Soulfire production. So this is so fun today, you guys. I told you that at some point you would meet all my family members. And now that we've been having conversations, I feel like you're going to meet them more than once, obviously, throughout the course of this podcast. But today you guys and I have the treat of meeting my brother, Scott Holloway, my only brother and my only sibling <laughs> and a great like my my best friend. I still literally like when I see him, I think about when I was like the feeling of when I was two and like holding him as a one year old or like four and holding him as a as a two and a half year old we're a year and a half apart and it's just like the love that I had for him as a little baby like I still have that level of love so um it's weird for me to see him sometimes as such a powerful strong entrepreneur and adult and now father and husband um, but he's really, really spectacular in so many, um, realms and I'm so excited for you guys to meet him. So technically on paper, it's so weird reading my brother's bio, but he operates a, he operates high growth startups. So right now he leads a 160 person team at a San Francisco based startup. He's an angel investor and he sits on tons of boards, including 1871 in Chicago. And, you know, he's had a journey to get there and he, this isn't his, and stop. He definitely is an entrepreneur at heart. And so I wanted him to come on here because I feel like whenever I want to talk about life or business or startups or ideas, I call my brother. I'm like, Scott is a startup guy. Like my, my friends always be like, well, what does Scott think about that? Like you should call Scott. Like what, <laughs> what would Scott think about that? So he's just got a knack and kind of a gut instinct for what's going to do well when things are going to hit. And I don't know if you feel that way, Scott, but I feel like you kind of have this like gift about knowing about business. Like, I just feel like it's an, it's an honest gift of yours. And I remember since we were little, like if Scott had $2 or let's just call it $5 from allowance from picking up sticks in the yard and I had $5, Scott would be investing his and I would be taking a bike ride to Tacos on Norte <laughs> and getting ice cream with mine finding the 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 closest, coolest, newest bike trail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a low bar, though. My The first investment I ever made was I, I sold my Beanie Babies as, uh, I think, an 11-year-old for $1,400, put it all at the time into AOL stock, which essentially went to zero. So like $1,400 as a whatever, like a, a kid is it's insane. I didn't even know that money existed. Um, and AOL was like the internet at the time. And then they bought Time Warner, um, the legacy media company. And it was basically the biggest corporate implosion of all time. So that, that was my first investment. So pretty <laughs> low bar if you're coming to me for business advice. Wait, did, did mine get invested in AOL as well? You spent all your money. I have no idea. <laughs> You did when you were. <laughs> oh my God. My artwork's falling over. Okay. Well, that kind of just shares with you a little bit about the difference between me and Scott right there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like our childhood growing up and, and why you feel like we kind of both took an entrepreneurial path. Do you feel like it was part of our upbringing? 
Not necessarily. Like, I don't know. I think, um, well, we were really fortunate. Uh, we had a ton of fun growing up together and being 18 months apart was actually awesome because we were able to be friends with each other's friends and we, our interests aligned, uh, because we were in the same stages of life. So I think that naturally probably charted us on a path that was going to be more similar than it was different. Um, but I don't necessarily, like we were never pushed one way or another. I think we were always both just super curious, uh, really competitive and never really enjoyed, um, being told what to do a ton. So you get to get that lends well to trying to be more creative. Yes. So one of my favorite Scott stories, and I feel like we should start here because this kind of sums up to me who Scott is in a nutshell, minus the beanie baby story, because that's also who he is. Um, so Scott, I don't know all the details and I don't want to butcher it, but there's a story of Scott wanting to meet Gary V. And the reason why I'm setting it up this way is because I feel like so many people on the line can learn from what it takes to be who you are and the skill set that you have. So you've always been someone that has had guts and balls. And I feel like those are the two things that really differentiate entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs and people that are going to go out and be willing to lose big, be willing to take risks and people that aren't right. And I feel like you've always kind of had that even when it comes to like meeting people that some people might put on a pedestal. Okay. So for those of you guys that don't know Gary Vaynerchuk, he's a big business guy. And, um, Scott, I don't know if you want to tell the story, but I just feel like it, it, it's a good way to start to kind of share people with people who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I totally agree on the guts or balls comment. Like, I actually think that's the biggest differentiator. And the thing that is the biggest difference between people who start companies and people who don't, um, is having the guts to do it. Uh, the, the people who build companies are no smarter than anyone else. It's just, they had the guts to go do it and didn't, uh, weren't scared of what other people were going to think. And that, that really is the main barrier. But the, the Gary Vee story is, is funny. I, I actually, I never was setting out to meet him, right? I, um, I was working in a finance job in Chicago, trying to build a bunch of stuff on the side. Um, took second in a startup uh, competition, uh, won some office space, had some engineers, was trying to get a corporate wellness app off the ground and simultaneously like super interested in the early stage like angel investing world and Gary Vaynerchuk, this was 2012, maybe 2013. No, yeah. Early 2013. So he was getting famous and certainly super successful, but you know, seven years later, he's, he's one of the more well-known media personalities in the world. So he definitely was nowhere uh, as well-known as he is now. And so we used to do stuff to try to drive engagement and build his own brand. And he tweeted something out. It was one morning I was sitting at my desk and it was, how can I help you? Um, and I just responded and I was like, all right. <laughs> and a bunch of people fired back. And I said, I was trying to get some jobs in venture capital at the time. Like that's what I was really interested in as I was trying to build some stuff. Uh, and I said, I would love an intro to a VC or to some interesting VC firms looking for some young guys to join their squads. He replied back immediately. And his response was join my squad. And I said, would love to learn more. Uh, and he CC'd his assistant or copied his assistant on the tweet um, and then put us all in an email. And Gary just emailed me right away. He's like, can you get to New York on Thursday? It was Tuesday. I was like, uh, yeah, like, of course I can get to New York on Thursday. No problem whatsoever. And so I flew to New York with no agenda on the first flight out uh, of Chicago uh, on a Thursday morning to meet him at, in the meatpacking district at the Gansevoort Hotel. 
And this was my first, one of my first forays into people like this and their schedules, how just bulleted they are. And so his assistant's like, he'll meet you at 9.05. He's having breakfast at the Gansevoort Hotel. He'll meet you at 9.05 uh, in the lobby uh, for a cup of coffee. And so I get there at like 8.45 and I see him and he's going over there and he's having breakfast with whomever associates pals. And he comes over right at 9.05. Uh, and he's like, hey man, are you Scott? And I said, yeah. And he just goes like this. He rubbed his head and he goes, go. And I'm like, oh, what? I was like, okay. Um, and so it was, that was ridiculous. Uh, and I, I told him uh, my story, my spiel, what I was trying to do. Um, you know, I was way down the road interviewing at a couple early stage startups at the time. One of them was Uber, which was a, you know, 200 people or something at the time. And he goes, Oh, like, you want me to text Travis right now? And I'm like, Whoa, no, man, like not at all. Like, I'm just telling you what I'm up to. And so, um, because of that, you know, we've, we've kept the relationship, um, uh, and we stay in touch. Uh, and at some point I think we'll do something fun together or a deal together. Um, but to this day, I've not made any sort of ask of him, but I'm just, I'm really grateful for for uh, at least being able to outreach when I need to. That's such a great story. And I feel like there's so many parts of that that make you successful. I think the first part is your willingness to respond to the tweet. Like you didn't even think twice. Like you have no filter when it comes to trusting yourself. You really do trust yourself. Um, And then the willingness to show up for what you asked for. So if you're going to ask for something from someone, you're going to show up big. So you're there on Thursday at 9.05 outside of his office. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a, that's a funny point because I actually think there's a lot of people, like most people want to help other people, right? And it, if you ask for something and someone says they'll do it, uh, it's actually pretty remarkable the amount of people who don't follow up on actually just getting what they asked for. It's uh they want like the dopamine hit of just getting told yes. Uh, and then they don't follow up. It's really, it's really bizarre. Um, but, uh, that's a small differentiator in and of itself. If you want to actually go out and get what you want. Yeah. I, and I love that about you. And I feel like you've done that with Mark Cuban and so many people, and it'll be so fun to see as you build your own thing down the line or wherever your life takes you, where these amazing relationships will, will take their place, if not just friendships. Um, so you have had some some cool runs. So you have scaled multiple startups now. Do you want to share a little bit about your experience? Because we want to name this podcast Embracing the Hustle. We have tons of people on the line that are in the grind. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And yeah. I think the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this is because I feel like you're somebody who embraces it and you make it fun and you make it, you don't make it a big deal. You know, you don't, like you've scaled multiple startups. You've been in the fire. You've been on the ground floor. Like you've done it. I've, I've done it time and time again. And it, and it's a lot, it takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of grind. I'm wondering like if you could just kind of share a little bit about your journey and, and what embracing that hustle as a beginning kind of grind feels like and, yeah. and looks like, and how can we maximize on it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty, when I was, uh, I'm pretty early when I started to want to get into 
starting companies or and when that didn't work out, as I mentioned, you know, I, I tried that a couple of times, at least joining ones that were really super early that I thought were going to grow quickly. Um, that's what I knew I wanted. I wanted to join something super small that I thought regardless of outcome, by outcome, I mean, if it worked or it didn't, that there was going to be a period of time where it grew just exponentially. And so when I, this was early 2013. And so the, the two companies that I identified for that were Uber and Instacart and ended up taking the Instacart opportunity, which was like nine employees at the time with some founders. Um, and I came on to launch and build their second market. So they were only in San Francisco at the time and came on to, to build, you know, Chicago, uh, and then ultimately launch and lead, you know, much of the, the rest of the, the Midwest and Eastern half of the U S, um, which was super fun and wild. Uh, I mean, like crazy wild. I mean, joined a company with, you know, maybe a hundred K in revenue, um, and left when it was doing billions, um, in, you know, one market at the time and covering 80% of North American zip codes when I left. And so that's like what I was seeking. And it just so happened that it turned out that the business ended up working and there's, you know, God willing, going to be a pretty unreal outcome there um, <laughs> at some point down the road. But um, what, I, what I was chasing was that hyper growth uh, because that's where you personally grow. Like what you, what you have in five years at a business like that is multiple lifetimes of business experience because you are forced or asked to do things that are so ridiculously out of your scope wheelhouse or that you should have any like reasonable responsibility of doing, but you have to because there's simply no one else to do them. And so uh, it's a really cool way to get experience um, that you wouldn't otherwise get. And that's what I was chasing, what I was after. And then once you get a little taste of that, it's just super freaking addicting. Um, and there's no way you can kind of relieve yourself from that. And that's kind of at least the fun of angel investing or VC investing, which long-term is what I want to do is you get to at least just have a taste of that forever. And you get to help other folks uh, that are building that and, and trying to. So cool. So what are some, some tips that you have to scale quickly and sustainably now that you've done it almost twice? I mean, I think, I think that's different uh, in every, every business, like what scaling actually means. Uh, I think you, got, you have to want to do it, right? Because it's a, it's a different, it's a different type of job. Um, you're doing stuff that you know you're taking out the trash. I was paying the office credit card or the office rent on my credit card in Chicago for a while, um, and so you're doing stuff like that. And then you're also um, you know doing stuff that you have no business doing, like negotiating deals with the CFO of, of grocery stores and things like that. So you just, you, you just have to be wanting and willing to, to learn and do that wild stuff. And I think once you get a taste of it, you realize that it's, it's really rewarding. How can you, and, and have you learned this over time? Cause obviously you were really young and you had, a, not that you don't have the same bandwidth, but you are a dad now. Like how have you learned to embrace the hustle while not, not burning out? Or like, what do you teach your guys? Like if you could yeah. like help guys build an epic day so they can maximize on what you've learned over the last six days, like what would you, what would you teach them based on what you know now? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things. One, you need a, you need a really good partner, right? And I'm, I'm really fortunate enough to have an amazing partner and wife that embraces that part of me. Um, but I think about this a lot with the work-life balance question, which I think is wait. But can you of, can you expand on that? Because I think a lot of people on the line are single for that reason because they don't feel like that's out there. So were there conversations early on like this is going to be the life you're going to buy into? Like I like how can you ease someone into that conversation? Or like I don't I've never asked you that before. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you're just going like, to know what you want. Right. Yeah. And so for the first, uh, you know, for the first four years out of school with Christine, I'm bringing my laptop to dinner uh, <laughs> until 11 o'clock at night. And, and, you know, she's tolerating that because she gets it and she actually enjoys it and thinks, and thinks it's fun. And she knows that I love that stuff. And so, um, yeah. And if you don't have that, it, it, it would make it miserable for you. And so like that, that's, I think, step one. Um, but then step two is just not viewing it as separating. And by the way, this is not everyone would agree with this and it's totally fine, but I don't view work as separating it from my life. Like it is, I like the term work-life integration. It's like, it, I, I choose to do what I do because it's like awesome and it's sweet. And so what that means is like at any time I'm kind of working, right? Like at any time I'm responding to emails, I'm thinking about stuff, I'm doing stuff. What that also means is if I have to go do something at 3 PM in the day, it can be unrelated to work. I don't care at all. I don't feel bad at all doing it, right? Because I'm all in all the time, whenever, like doing my job. And so um, I just view it like that. And if you can actually find something where um, you feel like that, then it, it becomes a, a bit of a, a less of an issue. Now, of course, it's still stressful and you do need t- like time to yourself. And I have plenty of that, but I've never viewed it as, okay, I need to get my 11 hours a day at work my four hours a day at home. And like, then I've got balance. It's like, no, it's like, you gotta like, like what you do and be able to blend it all together. I think that's why that's another great word that I can start to use for activate is integrate. Cause that's, yeah. that's a, that's a really cool way of saying it. And, and I like how you, you phrase that cause they're one in the same and you've built a life to be one in the same and you have a partner who embraces it all. And, yeah. um, that's really cool. What about, um, like hacks? hacks like do you do you guys do like wellness hacks in your office like do you do stuff to like create more sustainable energy throughout the day like how do you max out your personal potential yeah so i've worked for san francisco companies for the last 10 years and so i there's some wild shit that a bunch of people do <laughs> um uh, i think the the and i'm not i'm not like the crazy full day meditation stuff by any means i think at, at some time i'd love to be able to explore that um Though I'd say the one thing that I did um, seven eight years ago that obviously I think a, a ton of people are doing now is just completely redefine my diet, um, and that's been the I'd say the the biggest change as I've gotten into adult life that has just changed my energy and my outlook and everything. Is I really, with exception, with with some exceptions of course, like do not put bad stuff into my body, and I know what I'm eating. Um, and again, I have a partner that is the exact that it enjoys that as well. So uh, that that's super helpful. But that to say is like the one thing where if I, I was feeling sluggish all day, like, yeah, this would be miserable. I love that. I love that you you've made that choice. You've always been a super healthy eater. My brother still will ask for a veggie tray for an appetizer. Okay. So I don't know what my, 30, my, my 32 year old man is asking for a veggie platter, but my brother my old colleagues used to make fun of me that during the happy hours, they would all like order a bunch of stuff and there'd be a veggie tray. for me. It's really That's cool. so cool that you even did that at college, you know? So, um, your best man at your wedding, he was, mm-hmm. uh, when he was speaking about you, he was sharing that there was kind of like this choice point in, in at least his experience of you during college where you chose to really be a community giver. Like you really chose to get involved and do more than your job or whatever you, you know, you were doing in school. Like, do you feel like that was the point where you're saying, I'm going to play big in this world and I'm not just going to be, you know, like an entrepreneur, but I'm also going to be a community leader. I'm going to give back. I'm going to be on boards. I'd like to be involved in nonprofits. Something was that 
did you make that choice in college? Um, I'm not sure if I if I made that choice in college. I actually think think I can actually I think I have a ton more to do in that realm of uh, my contribution as a person, to be frank. Um, but I think what I've found uh, lately is again finding stuff that I actually really like uh, and that I believe in. And then again, it's less of work or, or honestly giving back and it's just so aligned with stuff that you're good at and that you enjoy mm-hmm. um that it's just the interests are so well aligned and so yeah with some of you know like the startup board stuff that you were talking about that's a perfect example um or some other kind of mentorship uh that i really like i just like love that stuff uh and it's one of the few things that i think i'm decent at and so it, it comes natural and, and and that's where i think you can add a bunch of values. You find the stuff you actually like and you're decent at, um, then it, it doesn't really feel like, you know, a ton of kind of work to get back. Yes. I love that. And that's why you like, you do stuff with big brothers, Brooks sisters. And we were talking about some nonprofit stuff you want to do in, in terms of like guiding people on their career path long-term and what that could look like. Um, there was a question. Um, I, I, we were tra- chatting earlier and we were talking about the fact that you are uniquely good at getting people to respond to you that are like high level, like Gary Vee, for instance, what do you think that that's unique to you? Or do you think that that's something you could teach someone else? I don't think it's teachable. Um, I do think that that's, uh, I have a little bit of a knack for that. Um, <laughs> teach me how to, who do I want to respond in the DMS? I don't know who I want yet. But like, you, I, there's some people you want to be homies with. Like, how, how do you actually add value to someone's life? And how do you actually get someone to respond? I feel like you're really uniquely good at that. Well, you, ha- you, you have to be a few things. You have to be brief. You have to be sincere. And you have to be interesting. Um, and I think that goes for any sort of communication. I think if you're sending any one of those people, I'm assuming you're DMing, something that's longer than two paragraphs, and you just have zero chance of a response, and no one's going to look at that, and no one's going to read it. Uh, and if you're bullshitting, uh, they're gonna be able to tell that too. I mean, these people get pitched or asked for things all day long. And so you got to keep things super brief. You got to be honest and sincere and you got to be interested. I mean, these people, one thing that what I've come to notice about super interesting or successful people is the people they want to talk to that they're interested in are other interesting people because that's how they want to spend their time. And so if you can't offer those folks something, which m- most of the time you cannot because they're able to offer those things to themselves, uh, at least be interesting um, and, and demonstrate that in your note and be able to at least prove that you might be able to like teach or uh, have this person learn something from you if they choose to give you a 10 to 20 minutes of your time. And so I think that's always the approach I've taken is super basic subject lines and one or two lines in an email. And it's, it's got like a hundred percent hit rate. A hundred percent. There's a, uh, I, you know what? I think, <laughs> I don't think Dave, I asked Dave Matthews to perform at my wedding. Shut and up. I think, I personally, I think I got his email just wrong, but he did not reply. And so that would be the, that might be the one that I can think of where they haven't replied, but I, I'm not certain that your boy Kevin gave me the right email address. Kevin, pull through. What is going on? That is a really funny story that I didn't know. Um, so I feel like from the outside looking in, like you've completely like architected kind of your career path and your life for an end game. And I try to teach that to people that I work with, like setting up their business and their life 
you know, in a way that they want to experience and live their life. So can you share a little bit about kind of like having vision and forecasting and creating powerful, intentional stepping stones for yourself to, to have an end game or an out game or a. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's funny. I, I actually think there's a, a nonprofit niche for this and I know I've talked to you about it, but I would love to be able to help people specifically high school and probably more specifically college graduates with that exact problem, because so many things in life um, are stepping stones to other things. And I think due to my own interests early on in upbringing um, and perhaps privilege, I was able to understand how those dots connected at a very early age. And I also was fortunate enough to know at an early age, at least the genre of what I wanted to do. And so I knew at least the buckets of things that I would need to study or do or have accomplished for me to go on and do the things that I wanted to do, be it start companies, work for super high performing, high growth companies, invest in companies. And so depending on what you want to do, um, oftentimes there are unspoken prerequisites. Um, and now there's a million ways to accomplish stuff, right? And I'm just talking about you know, my specific path. Um, but I do think that that is a massive gap is allowing people to understand what jobs or what things lead to things five and 10 years down the road. And not a lot of people think like that. Um, I'm not certainly not saying you need to, but I definitely have always uh, kind of thought more long-term like that. I love that. So is there any maybe like roadmap you could give someone like, Hey, let's think about what you really want to do or what you want your life to look like five, 10 years down the line. And let's, let's kind of architect it backwards. Is that how you do it in your mind? And then just see what lines up and, and what natural step you're going. I get that there's like a level of awareness, awareness there, but do you have any type of like general framework? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, so assuming what you want to do is not entirely unique, uh, which in most cases, there are people who have gone out and done what you're attempting to do. You can find those people, those archetypes that have led those, uh, those lives and those professional journeys and map out what they've done. Um, and it's going to be super variant, right? But there are going to be common themes um, that come to fruition in terms of where they've spent time, what they've learned, skill sets they've had that have allowed them to eventually do what they do. Um, and for example, a venture investor, a partner at a VC firm, there's like three ways you could do that. Um, that, that that's really it. Um, and should you want to become a venture investor later in life um, without, you know, um, knowing some of those things uh, would be probably, you know, much more difficult than if you began that path uh, early on. I love that. Um, so there's people on the line that are teetering, I think, in kind of doing what they really want to do or maximizing who they really are. Yeah. And I feel like you're someone and I'm someone who's always like breathed a lot of life into that person. Like, let's go, let's do it. Even if it's on the side, even if you just start it for fun, like let's get after it. What would you say to somebody who, you know, in 2020 really took a look at their life and are like, I'm not happy. I'm meant for more. I, um, clearly it wasn't what I was doing wasn't stable. I don't know what the conversation could be in somebody's head right now, but that's maybe on the the fringe of, of creating a new life, creating something new for themselves or doing something they really love. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I've no, and I've pushed plenty of my friends to do exactly that, and it's worked out great in in all instances. So I think there's a couple ways to think about that. Um, so Jeff Bezos, right, the founder of of Amazon, he operates by something called the. <laughs> it's very he uses very technical terms, obviously, which is brilliant, but he calls it his regret minimalization framework. And when he was going, he he had a job at a hedge fund. He was brilliant. Was a rising star, making tons of money, um, and could have been it just like generationally wealthy on his own with what he was doing. But when the internet happened um, and he wanted to be a part of that in the late nineties uh, and go out and start an online bookstore, he viewed it as when I'm on my deathbed, mm. what will I regret more? And so he, he lives his life and optimizes, um, I would say from, yeah, what he calls a regret, a regret minimalization framework. And so I think that is one way to approach it. And then going back to like the, the conversation of around guts, I think another guy, Tim Ferriss, um, what, what he says and what he does, and he has a great TED talk on this, and maybe you can link it in the, in the notes after this. I can't remember what it is, but it's about basically T-charting worst case scenarios of, a, of, a, of decisions you would make. Um, and when you actually go out and do that, so if the decision in this case you're asking Laura is, should I go and start this company and leave perhaps a decent paying job? Maybe I have to move in with a friend. Maybe I have to move back in with my family or something. Um, maybe I have to go and reapply for the job I already have. When you do that, what you realize is the worst case scenario is, is nothing. Like it is completely surmountable. And so when you actually map out the fear that you have and what the actual worst case of that fear is, you look at it and you're like, wow, am I really, am I really scared of that? And so I think those are a couple of ways to stare it down is just to think about what you would regret and actually map out what you're actually putting risk which um, in my case, when I left you know, my job to join a, a company with, with a few people, um, I realized very quickly it was, was almost riskless. And I was fortunate for that, but uh, that, I came to that realization really quickly. I love that. That's very easy to do. And I feel like too many people have way too many regrets on their deathbed. So very, very cool way to do that. Um, so recently you've become a dad to the yeah. cutest little angel, Goldie. Congratulations. What Thank has you. Goldie taught you so far? Oh, man. Um, well, I'm super high strung um, <laughs> as well. <laughs> like to an unbelievable level. And so that is exactly, which, by the way, why I knew he was going to have a girl or I knew a girl would be best for him because of this. <laughs> yeah. And so it is, it is actually wild. I mean, to think that I can just like lay on the ground with her for 30 minutes and like stare at her and have her giggle and that, you know, I'm not thinking about anything else. Normally I have to be doing like treacherous skiing where I'm holding on for my life to clear my head like that. Um, that is uh, that's a pretty awesome thing. So she's done a bunch of amazing things in my life, but that's definitely one of them. So she's taught you how to be present. That's yeah, really powerful. For sure. I love that. A little girl taught you how to be present. She's such a little angel. So many people are obsessed with her name, by the way. Can you like yeah, share no. how you came up with it or was it, was it? it you know, I mean, nothing, no real crazy story. I mean, we just, we, you know, the same thing where we went back and forth vetoing each other's names for a while. <laughs> and just like, no, no, I suggest something. She'd veto it out of just because I said it. Um, and then this, I think uh, she suggested this one. We're both like, wow, like, that's perfect. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took a, a lot of iterations, but it ended, you know, ended up choosing a perfect one. Um. So 2020 has obviously been crazy, you yeah. know, economically, politically, socially, like literal health, all of it. 
what would you share particularly for entrepreneurs that you've seen this year and, and anything to empower them going through the last six months of the year? Yeah. I mean, this is just an absolutely wild time. Um, but I, I actually don't think it changes the calculus a ton for wanting to start a business. I think a year like this puts into perspective what's actually really important. Um, right. And you see a lot of people fleeing the city and buying homes in the wilderness or in burbs or just downsizing and getting RVs. Like a bunch of my colleagues called a colleague today. And I'm like, that's a new background, Tom, what's going on? And he goes, oh yeah, we sold our house in SF. We bought an RV and we're going to cruise around and pick a place to live in the West Coast. I'm like, that's unbelievable. Um, so I think it doesn't change the calculus a ton. I think it just more hones in on that. You got to focus on how you want to spend your time in this life and in this world. So if anything, I think it should drive home clarity uh, that, um, you know, you got to focus on what matters because what this year has done is kind of equalize all of us. We're all in our homes and we're all at the mercy of this awful thing. Right. So, so good. What matters? And let's focus on that. Have you shifted anything in 2020 because of that? Obviously you had a baby, so you didn't really have a choice. I mean, that's clearly more important to you now anyways. Has anything else shifted for you? Um, you know, not a ton. Um, I think priorities a bit, um, in, in terms of even like long-term thinking about what I want to, what's important and do, do, um, some of the things I wanted to do or to experience just kind of, I've been rethinking those priorities, um, a bit and, and kind of having a little bit of a less is more approach. Um, but no major changes as of yet. Um, so TBD. What would you do differently like to date if you could change anything or would you just keep your journey exactly how it was? I, I think I would have truthfully just even more courage. And so, I mean, there, it's great. Like, there's a ton of this stuff like lean into fear and, you, you know, your best outcomes are on the other side of fear. I mean, for the most part, you know, a lot of that is true. Um, and you got to ask yourself what you're scared of. And, you know, what most people are doing um, is they're waiting for permission and they're floating these ideas by people or things. So someone will say, Oh my gosh, you got to do it. No one's going to say that. Everyone's going to think you're nuts in that like, in, in, or anything. Anyone's just going to, if anything, anyone is just going to talk you out of something, um, because they can't see it being a possibility. And so you're never going to get the, to the feel goods or the permission from other people, which is what's holding a lot of people back. You just got to want to do something on your own and you got to come up, you got to come past that. And then it's going to be one year to two years of more of that, of people being like, what the hell are you doing? But then it's typically two years and you know, in two years and then two years, it's like, wow, you have a ton of progress. <laughs> and then they're like, I want to do what you're doing. Exactly. You got to put up, you got to put up with the two years. So if you're tough enough for that. So it does take guts because you have to have thick, thick skin to deal with people's projections of their own fear onto you. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yours. So it takes What'd you say? Yeah, no, I think just, I, I think that's the, we were saying guts a lot, which that is it. But when I actually think of entrepreneurs or anyone um, who does wild stuff, it's courage. And it's not the courage to take a risk, but it's the courage to be looked at differently. And so I, I just think that that to me is, is probably the most important word in, in doing amazing things is having the courage to do it. So 
what is something courageous that you maybe you don't you won't want to share it because you keep a lot of things close to the chest. I know you have a lot of good ideas. By the way, Scott and I have been building businesses around the dinner table since we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, these were our our childhood conversations. What's yeah. your favorite invention that we've come up with together? Um, Can well, we tell them? you and I have only come up with inventions in our heads. So let's be clear. I do think what leads us back is the double-sided peanut butter, butter jar. Okay, I mean, I'm bar. over here <laughs> scooping peanut butter into my smoothies still in 2020 and covering my knuckles in peanut butter. And so I don't know what the average marginal cost is to add another piece of plastic on the bottom of the gift bottle, but by God, I'm waiting for that day where I can flip that thing over, scoop the bottom out for my smoothie. And be able to it hasn't it. happened yet because it's our invention and we came up with it when we're seven and we're gonna launch so it when we're 37. I had grandpa <laughs> look at that. So our, our grandfather is a uh intellectual property attorney, which means he he does makes or protects patents. And there was something like that. There was something done. I had him send it to me that that it was oh, it might be off by now, but some there is some sort of double-sided device to hold edible things. That is protected, but I, I'll have to revisit that. Okay, we're gonna revisit that because nobody wants peanut butter in their knuckles. It's 2020, sure. and everyone is increased peanut butter consumption. So, Telling you. hello. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? It's funny. I'd probably say chill out, but I don't really mean that because I. <laughs> You're such a Gary V. I like being, but I, I don't know. I, I I like the angst. I like the kind of perpetual scaredness that shit's not going to work out, which I will have forever. But then sometimes I'm like, if I, I need to chill out a bit. Um, and this year has been really good for me for that, to be honest. Um, so it would probably be that. Find ways to, to chill out a little more. What do yourself. you do to chill out? Um, I'd say exercise. Um, so because we can't, work out anymore outside. I got a at-home Peloton, which has been awesome. Been ripping that thing up. Um, he always and, texts me instructors, you guys would be best friends. I'm like, all right, Scott. I'll you remind me of all these instructors. You do. <laughs> these, are, these instructors are wild as hell. Um, uh, they're awesome people. Um, they're, yeah, they're wild. Uh, so that, um, I'd say that's probably the big one. And then like, when it's, I love fishing too. So there's like two things that take my mind off stuff like truthfully, like outdoors wise, and it's fishing and it's skiing. Um, and I think it's skiing because you literally have to be focused on it or you're going to get severely injured. And then I don't know, fishing, I grew up doing it. Um, and it's just super peaceful for me. And so those are things that I do to escape. I love it. Um, so if you had five people you really cared about, whether they're in your business or your best friends sitting in a room, what do you want to shake into them? Like, what do you want people to leave with? Or people to know about themselves or the world yeah. or what's possible. Yeah, I think I mean you want to you want to figure out what you want, right? Um, and it depends, and it and it really that that's part, right? You you a lot of people want they think they want what the other people um, are doing, regardless of what that is, but they really don't. Um, and th there's this really amazing interaction recently that happened between Jerry Seinfeld and Howard Stern, two both obviously some of the most successful media people ever. Um, and it was, they had just watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan special, which was just epic, right? And they were Howard Stern was talking about Michael Jordan, and he said something like willpower. He goes, Michael Jordan had just the willpower 
to get it done and to put his team, um, you know, to six NBA championships. And he goes, I think that's how I, and Howard was saying, I think that's how I did it. He goes, I think that's what, how, why I was able to accomplish what I did at my radio station at Sirius and everything I've done. And Jerry cut him off as he always does. He's kind of a dick. And he goes, let me, let me correct you here, Howard. He goes, that wasn't willpower. That was love. He goes, willpower is not eating dessert after dinner. And he goes, you can do that for so long, but then that fades. He's like, the only way you could have accomplished what you accomplished, or Michael Jordan could have accomplished what he accomplished, or I accomplished what I accomplished is through love. He goes, it, yes, like, he goes, I like money, but he goes, I would, it was never about that. And it never, I never would have had the success I did had I not loved it and obsessed over every single word in Seinfeld. Um, and I think that's interesting, right? Um, if you actually find that, and not everyone is going to be able to do that, but if you find stuff that you don't just tolerate, but that you really enjoy, like success is just more likely because all of your efforts map to that thing and you don't have to force yourself to do it. You don't need willpower. This goes back to like work-life integration because you enjoy doing it. And so you point your efforts at it and then everything kind of starts to collapse upon it and cool things happen. So, and you can find that. Um, that's pretty sweet and pretty powerful. Um, and I, and in ways I'm still, you know, I'm still looking for that perfect concoction. Um, and then I'd say, you know, the second thing is just be a good dude or gal, like be a good person. I think as information becomes more prevalent. Um, and once you get to a certain level in business, everyone is pretty, everyone can be, but a very similar level of like raw intelligence. And so then what differentiates you is all the other stuff. If you want to work with you. Are you a good communicator? Like, do you understand how to say things to other people? Um, and so at a certain level, actually, like that's what differentiates you is all the stuff around the edges because everyone at your level, you guys, you guys are all there for a reason and you can do, you can do the work and you're, and you're competent enough to, to get things done. But then at some point it's the soft stuff that differentiates you. Character. Yeah. I love that. What does activate mean to you? Hmm. I think activate means figuring out what you're capable of and holding yourself accountable to it mm. as often as you can. So like activating really like what you're capable of and not leaving anything on the table. I love that. We were so blessed to grow up in the Michael Jordan era and you brought, brought up the last dance. That was really nostalgic watching that. I literally had flashback images to us at those games and just, feeling that level of love and passion for um, a sport and, and how great he was. By the way, you asked about our childhood. Most of my memories, um, it's funny. Uh, and, and, and they're the, some of my, truthfully, my happiest memories are of you because. Oh, that's so no, nice. But, but, I mean, but I mean like a very specific part and it was your, your excellence. So I, I think like a lot of people, like I am enamored by people that are, excellent at things. And I was a decent athlete, right? Like I was an okay athlete. You were exceptional, like literally by Gatorade, the best player in the state of Illinois, your senior year in high school. Right. And so, um, most of my, from, I'd say, you know, eighth grade on even before that memories are just traveling the country to watch you dominate people in volleyball. And that, that, that's what I associate a lot of our upbringing with. And I loved every bit of it because it's one thing to like play something and be decent at, but to watch to watch someone, especially that you're related to and you love, just beat the shit out of people in the sport. <laughs> it's pretty freaking amazing. And so that that truthfully is most of my memories from growing up. Oh my gosh. That's so great to hear you enjoyed that because I always felt bad. Like Scott 
Did you see it on the sidelines? You kidding me? I'd be like mixing (laughs) up with the Stanford head coach being like, she needs to go to Stanford. (laughs) You don't want to go to Penn state, but like, I know Stanford, like she needs to go to Palo Alto. Oh, Denise was awesome. You're so sweet, Scott. Um, we had a, 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 my best friend, Nellie and, and her twin, Charlie, we would always say this thing when we played volleyball together for a few years, like we're going global, we're going global. So I always think that like, whenever I see Scott and, and I'm like, he's going global, like for real, like (laughs) he's going global. I'm so proud of you and, um, inspired by you and, um, just grateful that you get to be my brother. I love you so much. Right back at you. Um, thank you for having me. This is my first podcast. So pretty, pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm sure though, the day you're interviewed on the, on a real deal podcast, like Tim Ferriss, you're going to be like all prepped up from athlete. Love you, Scott. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this episode and DM us. We'd love to interact with you about all you learn and create from this. If you love this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to get real-time updates when all new episodes go live. And if you can, please leave us a review. It will help us grow our community and our message to support more leaders on their growth journey. If you want to continue to hang out with me, follow me on Instagram at Laura E. Holloway and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at lauraeholloway.com for weekly downloads, blogs, upcoming workshops, events, and more. Stay aligned and make your move. I'll see you next week.